Well, we are on Sunday evenings. We're examining together those seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven actual churches there found in the book of Revelation. So let me invite you to take your Bible tonight and find the book of Revelation. It ought to be fairly easy for you to find. Just go to the very end of your Bible, where those where those, those maps are, and then turn back a few pages. Revelation chapter number three. And here's what I would like for us to do. We just got through singing a beautiful song about the God of revival. Let's take a moment and let's pray and let's ask the God of revival to speak into our lives tonight, all right? Would you just bow your head with me? Would you just, maybe just silently, would you pray something like this? Would you pray, dear God, speak into my life tonight. Lord, I know you have a word for me. Speak into my life. Help me to hear. Give me ears to hear what you want to say to me tonight. And we pray that in Christ's name, amen. If uh, I know it's Mother's Day, and if some of you perhaps are guests tonight, maybe first time, second time, if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Alan, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors down here at Church of the Island. So excited about that pavilion. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been down here, and man, I'm just so excited about that, and we're going to have crawfish this Thursday night. I mean, you don't get any better than that. Amen. Aren't you grateful? For so many of our guys, so many people in our church, just leadership that gave so much of their giftedness and their, their knowledge for us to be able to build that. I mean, using our church members to do that. And so I think it's a great blessing. It's a great testimony of Church of the Island. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at it in just a moment. I read a story just a few weeks ago about a man by the name of Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy lived in the 1800s, an incredibly wealthy man, philosopher, teacher, wasn't a lawyer, but wrote a lot of like law, like legal documents, incredibly influential, incredibly wealthy. When he died in 1832, he left in his will a statement. In fact, it said this, it said that he would leave all of his wealth, all of his vast fortune to the university college in London if they would preserve his body, put it on display, and when the board of directors would have their annual meeting, they would roll him in and let him attend. True story. Evidently, the university college in London was desperate for his money. They agreed to do it. If you traveled today to, and I was in London a few months ago, I didn't know about this. I probably wouldn't have gone anyway. But if you were to go to the university college, there is Jeremy Bentham on display. They embalmed his body. Once a year, they roll him into the board meeting. And here's what it says. Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. Is that weird? Let's take that picture off. I don't even want to look at it. It's just odd. When I read that story, I thought a lot about our nation today and churches today in our country. Once vibrant, healthy, active, but now there's no zero spiritual impact. In fact, we're going to see tonight, Jesus uses the word dead to describe the church in Sardis. 
I felt like I needed to do a little research about churches today. In fact, I was having some conversations here a little bit earlier about churches and what's happening in our nation. And I want to show you a couple of statistics about Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist churches have lost two, over 2 million members since 2006. On average, between four and 5,000 churches are closing their doors every year in America. But we're only planting about 3,000 churches a year. By the way, that statistic, 2019, before COVID. LifeWay Research predicts that post-COVID, between seven and 10,000 churches will close its doors this year in America. And we're planting and replanting nowhere near the amount of churches that need to in order to, to gain momentum, even with our increase in population. The church that you and I are going to study tonight in Revelation chapter 3 is really a case study on dead churches. Revelation chapter 3, as we do here at Church of the Island for the initial reading of God's Word, would you stand with me? I'll read it out loud. You follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have uh, your scripture with you, we'll put the verses on the screen. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, and you have the reputation of being alive, but you are what? dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and what you heard and keep it and repent. And if you'll not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. If you would, as we kind of walk through this particular passage and study this together, if you take a pencil or a pen, something maybe you can write with, I want us to think about Sardis. 2,000 years ago, Sardis was a very important city. We can look at the map here and we'll see that there's about 50 miles difference or 50 miles apart between Ephesus and Sardis. Sardis was a very important city. It, it sat on a plateau. It was elevated, almost a, a fortress. It was a military type of city. There were also five major roads that, that Sardis kind of served as a junction to those, those roads. Because of those major roads that came through Sardis, Sardis really served in many ways, not only as kind of a military outpost, but it was a, a place of trade. Sardis was also known for the production and the selling of garments, in particular woolen garments. There's a reason why Jesus actually speaks about garments, because that's what Sardis was kind of known for. There was a church 2,000 years ago in Sardis, but Jesus said it was dead. As a matter of fact, it actually, he says that in the latter part of verse number one, if we'll look at it again, 
You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You ought to underline that phrase in your Bible. You are dead. In fact, I would encourage you to do what I did. I actually wrote in the margin of my Bible this statement. Nothing is as helpless as death. Nothing is as helpless as death. This is the, the, one of the few letters that Jesus doesn't begin with a compliment. He doesn't begin with a commendation. He just says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. It's such a sad story. There was a, a time in which they were alive and they were active. As a matter of fact, what the indication here is, is that looking from the outside in, the church looked healthy. The actually church looked fine, but Jesus can't be fooled. And Jesus said, you may look fine on the outside, but in reality, you are a dead church. There's no life. I know your works. I know your reputation, but you are dead. There is no life. There's an appearance that's given, but the reality is there's no life. It reminds me, if you go into a museum, like for example, the Museum of Natural History, and you'll, you'll enter a room, and then there's this natural habitat. There's this natural scene, and there may be trees and, and plants and bushes, and there'll be animals. And what appears to be a real and alive, a, a natural scene, but those animals are just stuffed. It's just taxidermy. There's no life. It looks natural. It looks real, but there's no life. This is the picture that Jesus is saying about Sardis. Yes, you're, you're gathering. Yes, you look natural. You, you look okay, but the truth is there is no life. They have lost their spiritual impact. No longer in the church were you seeing broken homes or broken marriages being repaired. No longer were boys and girls being taught the gospel. There was no more. As you and I, when we worship together, there's passion. Sometimes as we worship together and we're so moved by the Holy Spirit, we're moved even to tears. None of that was happening in the church at Sardis. He says, you're gathering and you had a great reputation, but there's just no life in you now. Notice what he goes on to say next in verses 2 and 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. And if you'll not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I come against you. You would think that when Jesus, through this thundering command, wake up, you would think they listen. I read this statement. I read this quote about, uh, this was in one of the commentaries. It said, dead ears can't hear the loudest shout. Dead ears can't hear the loudest shout. Ultimately, we know that this church, they didn't listen. But Jesus is crying out. He's commanding. You are dying, but I command you, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I told you earlier that the, the city of Sardis actually sat on a plateau. In many ways, as I said earlier, it was a fortress. It was a, a military-type city. They really felt like they were impenetrable. There are two times, according to history, that Sardis was attacked and they were taken captive. 
On both of those occasions, it happened because the guards weren't paying attention. They let their guard down. I think about churches today. If we had just a few years ago, there was an average between four and 5,000 churches in America every year closed its doors. Now they're estimating seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 churches. There's a church that voted last Sunday to merge with Cottage Hill with the purpose of replanting the church further out West Mobile in the Grand Bay area. They once were a thriving, growing church. And when they voted last week, there were about 20 people in attendance. That's just in the greater Mobile area. There's another church even further out west that we're, we're in talks with about a, a replanting or a relaunching of the church. They're down to about 25 members at one time, a very thriving, active, evangelistic church. But like Sardis, we let our guards down. Here's what I would say to you, Church of the Island. God has done a remarkable work. It's Mother's Day. We probably have half the crowd we normally have. But you know what God's doing here. The sign behind me, those are the people who've been baptized this year. Every light that's turned on is a a representative of someone who's who's come to faith in Christ and baptized through Church of the Island. God is doing a remarkable thing. We're seeing lives radically changed. But I will say this to you, and I hope that you know this. The enemy doesn't like that. The enemy hates Church of the Island, and he will attack, and he will do everything he can. Sardis, the city and the church, ultimately died because, or held captive, because they began to grow content. We must never be content. And that's why the Lord said to the the dying church, wake up. But he not only says, wake up. Notice he also says, step up. When he says, strengthen that which remains. In other words, get back to the basics. Fan the flames of your passions. When you were once excited and had zeal for the things of God, for the things of the Lord, we need to renew those things. Do the things that you did at first. He says, wake up, step up. But then he says, keep up. Remember in verse number three, he says, keep it, repent. Hold on to what you've received and what you've heard. If there's ever been a formula for revival, that's the formula. Wake up, step up, keep up what you've lost. I would say this to you in your own Christian walk. If there's been a time that you were closer to the Lord than you are now, then you are in need of revival. So how does that happen? First of all, wake up. And recognize what the enemy has taken and how the enemy has distracted you and how you've grown content with the things of God. Do the things you did at first. Step up. And what you've heard and what you've received, keep it. Hold on to it. And don't let go of it. It's interesting what he goes on to say in verse number 3. He says, and if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I'll come against you. The phrase here is speaking of judgment. 
He's saying to the Christians, he's saying to the church that if you don't return, if you don't repent, if you don't wake up, I will come and bring judgment. Just like the church in Ephesus, he says, if you don't repent, if you don't wake up, I will remove your lampstand. For the church in Pergamum, he says, if you don't wake up, if you don't repent, I will come with my sword. Each time there is judgment. Notice what happens next in verse number four. It's a very interesting verse. Let's look at verse four. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. In fact, you ought to underline that phrase in your Bible, soiled their garments. Here's what we need to understand tonight. Sin has a spiritual aroma. Sin gives off a spiritual aroma. It's kind of interesting to me that Jesus, throughout the passage, speaks of garments, and that's what Sardis was known for. But he says, here's what you've done. You've sold your garments. If you've ever wondered how God views sin, this is a very vivid picture because it's literally dung. He's speaking to a people, and here's what he says, because of your rebellion, because of your sin, you have defecated on yourself. That's the language. That's literally the language in Revelation chapter 3. If you've ever wondered how God sees it, as a matter of fact, this whole language of soiling the garments, this language is actually all throughout the Scripture. Let me just give you one instance. It's found in the book of Jude. The book of Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Listen to verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the language. That your sin, when you remain in your sin and your rebellion against God, you're soiling, you're defecating your garments. That's the language. There is a... The Bible teaches that both for the godly life and the sinful life, there is an aroma, there is an odor that is given off. Not just for the sinful life, but also for the godly life. Let me give you one more passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Let's just pause there for a second. Let's leave, Dawson, leave that slide up for a second. Let me tell you about the Roman world. The Roman world, when there was a great victory in a battle, the general and his lieutenants would, would march through the city. There would be this triumphal procession. The general would lead, the lieutenants following behind, riding on their horses, but pulling behind them captives. So all along the city, as the people are gathering, as they're cheering on this victory, this win for Rome, the priest, throughout the triumphal procession, the priest would wave incense all through the path. At the end of the procession, the captives were killed. So all through the path, for the Romans... 
the incense, the aroma, the smell was the smell of victory. But for the captives, it was the smell of death. It's with this in mind that Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and even among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, but to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We see this language of aroma and odor. The godly life gives off a spiritual aroma, a spiritual fragrance. But a sinful life it's the stench of death. This is what I thought about this morning as I was praying for us. I wonder, I wonder what Jesus smells when he smells Church of the Island. I wonder what Jesus smells. And then I begin thinking, I wonder, I wonder what the enemy smells of Church of the Island. Maybe I could even be more personal. How about your life? What kind of aroma, what kind of fragrance, what kind of odor is your life right now as you're living in faith? What kind of aroma, what kind of odor? Life to life, death to death. It's also very interesting to me how Jesus ends the letter, verses 5 and 6. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Go back to verse number 5 for a second. The one. In each of the seven letters, Jesus speaks corporately. He speaks to the congregation. But there's also, in each letter, he speaks to the individual. He says, to the one. You ought, you ought to underline that little phrase in your Bible, the one. I, I believe that every dead church dies because there's one who quits caring. Every dead church began with one person who just quit caring. And every, by the way, let me say this, and every great revival began with one person who took sin seriously. The one. The one. I was reading a few weeks ago Mount Whitney is the highest elevation in the United States. 14,500 feet above sea level. It's the highest point in, in the U.S. 80 miles southeast of Mount Whitney is Death Valley, the lowest point in the U.S., 276 feet below sea level. It's interesting. 80 miles, one day's journey. 
You could literally, on the top of Mount Whitney, you can experience this coolness and the, the cool air, and you can literally see, on a clear day, you can see Death Valley. You, you can, in one day, you can, you can breathe the cool air of Mount Whitney, or you can also experience the relentless heat of Death Valley. Where are you living spiritually today? Are you on the mountain? Are you down in the valley? Life experiencing God or death, the valley? I love the fact that it's one day's journey. If you are living in the valley, but you want to live on the mountain, here's, here's a word for you tonight. One day. It's one day's journey. But here's what you have to do. You have to begin stepping. You've got to begin the journey. Amen? Jesus speaks to the church. He who has an ear, let him hear. Wake up. Step up. Keep up. Return to me, he says. Return to me. If you're living in the valley, begin, begin the journey of coming to the mountain. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Josiah and our worship team to come and lead us in time of worship. Pastor David's going to come and He'd love to pray with you, love to pray for you. The altar is also available for you just to come and kneel and pray. In fact, let me say this. Your chair where you're sitting can become an altar. You can pray right where you are. Here's what I want to do. As your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, nobody looking around. No one's going to embarrass you. That's not how we do things here at Church of the Island. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to grab you. No one's going to do anything like that to make you feel uncomfortable. But here's what I would like to do. I'd like to pray for you tonight. If you'd say, Alan, I'm not where I need to be. I'm camping in the wrong place. Maybe you're in the valley, but you're certainly not on the mountain. If you would just say, Alan, pray for me tonight. Pray for me that I would begin taking the steps to go to the mountain that God would draw me back to himself where I really need to be. If you would just say, Alan, would you pray for me tonight? Again, no one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to come to you, but I'll just simply pray for you. Would you just in a, in a little slight fashion, would you just raise your hand just a little bit? Would you raise your hand and say, Alan, pray for me? Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Just lift your hand up. Alan, pray for me. All right. Absolutely. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the honesty of those here who just raised their hand. And it could have been the enemy that distracted. It could be just the busyness of this world that caused a bit of contentment, maybe compromise. But God, we thank you for speaking into our life tonight. 
arranging for us to be here to hear this truth, to hear your calling to return, to wake up, to step up, to keep up. So Lord, I pray for these tonight who need to break camp and to take the steps necessary to move to the mountain, to experience life to its fullest with you. Lord, there's some family members, there's some friends that we dearly love and we care about, and they're not in a good place. So we pray for them tonight as well. Draw them to yourself. Lord, there may be some sister churches that we know. We're so grateful for what you're doing at Church of the Island, but we know there are some churches that are struggling. We pray that your spirit would move in a powerful way and that they would hear your voice and they would wake up. They would wake up before it's too late. So God, in these next moments, as we sing, as we worship, as we, as we cry out to you, hear us. Hear us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.